0: Well church, it is really good to be together this morning. Thank you for joining us here in person and online. I know the tradition service will be joining us in Kindred as well. It's good for us to worship together as the people of God. We have ushers who are here who would love to put a Bible in your hands. We're going to be looking in God's Word today, and I'd love for you to have that Bible. Don't feel like you have to know it. I'll give you some directions as we get there. But just to make it easy, we are in the book of Revelation, which is at the very back of the Bible. So this will be some of the easiest navigation you'll have. Turn to the back and work backwards. Uh, It's wonderful to be together. This is week two of a series on the seven churches in Revelation that are mentioned in Revelation chapter two and three. And uh, we'll get to hear more about that there. But what I want to set us up with today is something just really simple. I'm not sure if this is allowed or not, but I'm going to take some liberty. I'm going to steal from a great preacher here early, so we just get it out of the way and you have the best stuff at the front, okay? I was reading from Rick Warren's work about the topic of suffering, because today's subject has to deal with suffering as a believer, a follower of Jesus, and he simplifies our understanding of suffering with three really easy to remember labels. They all start with C. The first is the common suffering that's universal, and all of us suffer. When Fargo floods, the flooding doesn't pick on Christians. We all suffer, with things in this life. Jesus talks about how the rain falls and the good and the evil. There's a common suffering that's common to all of humanity. There's also a carnal suffering. And this is suffering that we bring upon ourselves because of the sinful choices we make. The Bible speaks a lot about we reap what we sow. And as much as all of us would rather not have the consequences of our decisions, the reality is those consequences are ours to bear when we make bad decisions. The third C is that of Christ's suffering. What we learn as we read the scripture is that God cares a lot more about our character than our comfort and he allows or brings into our lives suffering that will make us more and more like Jesus. In church, here's what I want to start out with is this idea that we as a church need a robust understanding of suffering if we're to journey well in this walk with Jesus. Suffering is normal and it's part of our lives. We all need to be prepared for it and many of us suffer today. In Romans chapter 5, I want you to hear these words because it's not just John in the book of Revelation that talks about suffering, it's also Paul. In Romans 5, he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Listen to that phrase, we rejoice in our sufferings Because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which he has given to us. You see our sufferings lead to hope. Well, it wasn't just Paul and it wasn't just John. Peter wrote also in 1 Peter chapter 4 and other places that those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and keep on doing good. Don't just give up because you're suffering for Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you begin to look for how God speaks of suffering, you will see it all over the text of the scripture, that God wants to use your suffering to change your character to be more like Jesus. Now flip to Revelation chapter 1, page 1063, if you're following along, and and we're going to bump into chapters 2 and 3 as well, but that'll get you started. One of the things that stands out in these seven churches is that there are two that have no criticism and no rebuke. The church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. They stand out for their faithfulness and their endurance in trusting Jesus. Now, when you see these seven cities and seven churches, and you were an original reader of the text, you would have understand this was a common trade route. Many of your Bibles have maps in the back, and I would encourage you to go and look. It's fascinating, you can almost see the ring of how one might travel, all of these seven churches. So as God is revealing this to the church, the the, the idea is the messenger will carry this out to these churches. Smyrna was a seaside city. It was located 35 miles to the north of the city we learned about last week, Ephesus. And it was the second along the stop. You would, you would have known when you read this letter as an original reader that Smyrna stood out for their worship of the Roman leaders as gods. They had a temple to Tiberius, and Smyrna was incredibly wealthy. There were trade guilds, and economic strength was a point of pride for them. The social fabric, the capital of the society, supported their wealth, and there was an emphasis that absolutely was threaded into the fabric that all of us Worship our ruler as a God. Well, for the early believer and those who would follow in Smyrna, to follow Jesus exclusively as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, was to invite trouble. Following Jesus in Smyrna was a costly decision. The trade guilds, along with the Jewish and other religious leaders, baked into the system this recognition that Roman uh, rulers are deity. And so if you ran against that, you ran against the very social fabric of of everywhere that you lived. As we'll see here in the text, the young church in Smyrna was commended by Jesus for their spiritual wealth, while they experienced tremendous poverty in the midst of amazing material wealth. And we'll catch up to what that means here in the church. So let's turn again to page 1063, Revelation chapter two, verses eight through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write these words, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. One of the first things you're going to note in this text, that we who are in Christ serve a resurrected Savior who knows all things. It was important for Jesus to make this very clear in his message to the suffering church in Smyrna, that these words are of him who is the first and the last, the one who died and who came to life again. Now, if you were studying in the book of Revelation, you start in Revelation 1 and you read all the way to the end, you're going to hear this first and last language. John is making very clear that this Jesus, who is the Son of God, the very very God-man who came in the flesh, who lived and who died and who rose again, is ruler over all. And so you, church in Smyrna, who are suffering, let us begin with knowing that He is over all and He sees you. Revelation chapter one, as you scan through this, you begin to see this tremendous vision. John says in one verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I saw him there were these seven lampstands and there was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down with his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. As you read Revelation, you go, this is not like the other books in the New Testament. (laughs) John is trying to describe something that, that almost seems beyond human comprehension, but he's trying to put it in words that make sense to us. And he's drawing our attention up to the glory of God and to see The beauty of this, and look at verse 17. Again, I love the the humanity of this text. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. (laughs) Wouldn't you? And he reached out to me and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Hades. Jesus is revealing himself once again to his disciple John and saying, I have control over everything. Do not fear, do not be afraid. And again, we see this resurrection reality in chapter one, verse 18, that gets picked up again in chapter two, the one who had died, verse eight, and who came to life again. Now for you who are students of the scriptures, if you had kept reading and you got to Revelation chapter 22, you might remember this phrase, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. This is a hopeful thought in Revelation chapter 22. He says, look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Friends, there is nothing outside the purview of Jesus Christ. Anything that happens to us happens with his knowledge of what is happening. God is not surprised by our suffering And the foundation of our Christian faith is the historic reality that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And when the church in Smyrna was suffering, this is where John began, where Jesus began. Yours is a God who is the God of the beginning and the end. Yours is a God who sees all things. The Apostle Paul makes it exceedingly clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrection of Jesus is the most profound truth of the message that we share. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, you and I are the most to be pitied. But because he is raised from the dead, we have the greatest hope and we can sing of that hope whose name is Jesus. And this savior, who is Jesus, lives eternally as a resurrected king. Now imagine with me that that you were one of these believers in Smyrna and your life was very difficult. In fact, if, if you were an outspoken follower of Jesus, you're, you were likely to be treated um, as an enemy of the state and the punishment was often a capital offense. You, you would be tried and, and you would be set up and killed at the pleasure of the religious leaders, at the pleasure of the government, to be set up as an example and mocked. It's fascinating, just a couple... Uh, Maybe 100 to 150 years later, one of John's disciples' disciples named Polycarp was was murdered for his faith in Smyrna. You can go back and read about Polycarp. And he considered an honor to suffer for Jesus' sake. Because they knew in Smyrna, if you were to trust Jesus, it came at a very high cost. I've tried to imagine this for a moment. Imagine with me, you've given your life to a trade, and you've experienced a measure of economic success. As a leader among the local trades craftsmen, you enjoy the legacy of being part of a family who is known for their craftsmanship and the quality of their work. Your vision for the future was a gift to you from your grandparents, because yours is a family history of being the best of the best. Even your company bears your name. Then along comes a person from another place who spends some time with you and explains how the deeper questions in your heart find answers in a man who was was a Jewish rabbi who taught and lived in such a way that it was almost impossible not to listen to this guy. He he or she explained to you how tax collectors and Jewish leaders, prostitutes and sinners, and so many more found peace by listening to and following Jesus' teachings. The blind were able to see, the deaf could hear, those who were lame walked again. This Jesus was wrongly accused and murdered on a Roman cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead, and women and men began sharing this story of hope in a God who sees and a God who hears and a God who has come to restore the brokenness and make all things new. Your heart pounding, your mind racing, and yet you're strangely at ease. The message of the hope found in Jesus makes sense. Like other disciples, you find that the words of Jesus give you life, And the more you listen to this Jesus, the more you want to follow him because you find in him truth and you want more and more the things of Jesus and less and less the things of this world. And so you begin to share this good news with your family and some of your closest friends at work. And then the message is met with resistance. Those who are once your friends become your enemy. Your extended family begins to distrust you. You notice how awkward they are around you. Even your children don't want to be near you and your spouse isn't so sure that he or she made such a good decision being married to you. They recognize that if you're gonna follow Jesus, it's not just the cost that you'll bear, but it could cost them as well. Their reputation, their livelihood, all that they are. Your business partners begin to ally against you. What was once easy and predictable is now difficult and it becomes impossible to find work. Your family gradually, and some not so gradually, disown you. Your friends at the synagogue begin to whisper and they weasel against you. And suddenly you find yourself without work, without family, driven away by your religious community and in trouble with the law because you took a stand and refused to worship the emperor. Because now you realize that Jesus is the one true God. Friends, this was the church in Smyrna. And they weren't alone. Read the book of Hebrews, that's their situation. What seemed so foreign to me was so common for them. And and, and this was the message from Jesus. Look in verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, Jesus says, and yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews, and they are not. They are but a synagogue of Satan. Can you imagine the tenderness of hearing that message? Your synagogue rallies against you and calls you the sinner. Those who were once dear to you now curse you. And Jesus says, I see you. I know your afflictions and I know your poverty. Friends, this was the reality for many of the first followers of Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, after receiving a gift from a very impoverished church in Macedonia, he talks about their gift being a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice that's pleasing to God, and then he says, and I know that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Though these people around you, church in Smyrna, say that they are Jews, they are not, they are but a synagogue of Satan. And for you who are readers in the text, I would encourage you to go and see where else that phrase is used in Revelation. It's fascinating. The synagogue of Satan. Many who thought they were following God obediently were doing the works of the evil one. And friends, we shouldn't be surprised. We were recently in the book of John, and in John 16 it says, I've told you these things about the trouble that which is to come so that you would have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I've overcome this world. We should expect that when we follow Jesus, there will be seasons of suffering. And we should remember that this suffering for Jesus isn't just something that's 2,000 years old. It's a reality for many. I was reading this week about a, a man named Willem Tenbu. He was part of the Dutch Reformed Church, and he had a heart to see the Jewish people reached for Jesus. So in 1844, he started a prayer meeting, praying that God would reach his Jewish neighbors and friends with the good news of Jesus Christ. His family took after that uh, prayer meeting, and a hundred years to the day, his great granddaughter, Corey, was arrested along with her father and other family members because of the work that they were doing to rescue the Jewish people from the Nazi work that was happening. They're credited with saving over 800 lives because of their faith in Jesus. They welcomed the suffering that came to them. And you can go and read about the 10 Booms, it's amazing. The generational love that they had for Jesus and how they lived this out. I can imagine when they were reading these verses, they found great hope here. Well, let's look again at Revelation chapter two and this time in verse 10. The text tells us, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, he writes, even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Friends, I want to remind you, when you suffer, don't be afraid. Remain faithful. And I might add here, don't be surprised. Jesus said this would happen. When your faith is securely rooted in the resurrected Savior, you don't have to be afraid anymore. John would write elsewhere that there's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with one who fears punishment, but the one who fears, they're not made perfect in love. We love because Jesus first loved us. If you are in Christ, you do not have to fear the great punishment which is to come. You are secure in Jesus. Years ago, I read an article where John Piper was, was um, speaking to young people, and he was saying, friends, if you are in Jesus, you have, you have secured the greatest risk that you have in your life, that which is to be distant from God for eternity. You are secure in Christ. Live free. Being loved by God, Smyrna receives this letter from God with a commendation and an encouragement to not be afraid, but to remain Faithful. Now, if you're like me and you read in the book of Revelation, you're probably wondering, like, what's the significance of 10? What's the significance of 2? What's the significance of 7? Because you see in this apocalyptic literature, sometimes numbers can take on meaning and this kind of stuff. And let me just help you here at the beginning as you're reading this. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal that it's 10. I think it's 10 because it's trying to draw your mind back to the history of God's faithful provision for people in the past. The scriptures are so good at this, calling us to remember the things of the past. I think it's also 10 because John wants us to see that there's a limit to this testing. You will suffer persecution for 10 days, not 11, not 12, not 20, not 30. There's a limit here. Friends, when you see that 10, I think John immediately had in mind Daniel chapter 1. If you remember, Daniel and his friends were taking from the the place of Israel into the place of exile against their will they were they were drug into this Babylonian existence and when you hear 10 I think he heard 10 here because when Daniel was presented with the requirement of eating defiled food of worshiping the evil one who declared himself God Daniel and his friends said may it never be And the official who was over them knew that if they didn't eat the defiled food, it would be his head on the table, not just theirs. And so Daniel went to the official and he asked him permission. He said, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink and then compare us. And so he agreed and he did this for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. 10 and 10 and 10 reminds us of the 10 of Daniel. God was faithful then to a generation who refused to bow before a leader who declared him or herself God. God's people must never call someone God who is not God. Friends, God sees your suffering. And we know from this text that our suffering is limited by God's sovereign rule. I was reading this this week, and, and I, I caught this phrase, and I love how, how Cindy Matson does this with her words. She said, Satan is always on God's leash, even if he thinks he's got the upper hand. Any of you guys have dogs? God bless you. I have a dog that's a little bit difficult at times, and they tell me because he's not trained well, so I guess it's my fault. But one of the things on leash is that dog can never outrun the leash. So too is Satan unleash in his torments that he is allowed to give towards us. Satan is always on the leash, and God is always seeing what is there. Lest you think that suffering is only something that happened 80 years ago, in 2015 there was a record-setting year for the number of Christians suffering as a result of their obedience to Christ as recorded in the last 40 years. It's not gone down. In 2023, Open Doors International lists 10 countries as the countries with the most persecuted Christian. In total, when they do these surveys and this research, and as you read the research, it, it's verifiable. It's, I mean, it, it makes sense. I, some of you guys are, are good students, and you ask, is that true? Is that true? I think it's true. There's 360 million Christians alive today who are being absolutely persecuted and discriminated against as a direct result of their faith. 360 million. It wasn't that long ago when that was the population of our country. The top 10 countries are places like North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, and Sudan. Friends, for many, 2023, it's a dangerous decision and a high level of cost to follow Jesus. There are good groups out there like Open Doors International and Global Christian Relief and Voice of the Martyrs who are out advocating for your persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. For many of you, this isn't new news, but I hope that it's I hope that it sits with you a little bit. I, I hope that it's hard for you to hear that because honestly, as I was preparing this text, I thought, how do I go and preach to a church in Fargo, North Dakota with, a, with an assembly that can gather 1,250 people at one time with no fear of an, of an authority coming in and doing something violent against us about suffering for Jesus? What a privilege we have. Let us not take it for granted. I was also reminded recently that as I listed these names, I could remember students that I've met here in this church or who my friends in different campus ministries have told me about, students from these countries. God, in his sovereignty and in his kindness and in his generosity for the nations, is bringing some of the best and the brightest from these countries to study at our universities. I want to invite you, church, to be on the lookout for these people. From North Korea, probably not. Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, and Sudan. And this doesn't even include places like China and other countries where the people of God are being persecuted for their faith. They're here, and they want to know more. Maybe as an application you would take from this that you would pray for one of these countries, or ask God to help you meet a student from one of these countries and welcome them into your home that they might see the hospitality of Christ. Verse 10, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Friends, how common is that command? Be faithful, do not fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I think many of you have probably seen pictures of the Olympic winners and they have that beautiful crown that's woven together with pretty flowers and all this kind of stuff, that crown fades. Most of us have watched the Olympics and we've seen the incredible celebrations that happen. How much more the celebration that will be ours when we are welcomed into the kingdom of God and Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I have this image burned in my head and I hope I can share it with you just a little bit it's of a I I think he might be 40 now one of my friends from seminary he had just finished a triathlon and he talked about how grueling it was and I'll give you some of those details in a minute but as he crosses the finish line his bride embraces him and his kids come up around him and they're just grabbing onto dad with an intense love for him And he shared this joy that he had that was like no other joy because this was his first triathlon. He he swam for 2.4 miles, he rode a bike for 112 miles, and then he ran 26.2 miles without being chased. That is an incredible accomplishment. And at the end of that, he was welcomed into the arms of his beloved and they rejoiced over him. Friends, you and I face some tremendous difficulties because of the common suffering that we experience together, because of the carnal decisions we've made, and because of even Christ's suffering. Some of us will be discriminated against. Some of us will be treated poorly and unfairly because we take a stand for Jesus. Side point, let us be careful to not too quickly claim that suffering or that discrimination so that we don't dishonor those who are absolutely being discriminated against and punished. And let us be honest about the reality which is ours. Some of you I know suffer because you're trusting Jesus through your difficulty. So God says, don't be afraid, stay faithful. And then verse 11, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your reward is secure in Jesus. There is a second death which is coming. And here is the warning, in Revelation 20 and 21, this second death is the final destination for all who fail to believe in Jesus. They will be separated from God by their sin and they will dwell in this place of death for eternity. Listen to the words of Revelation 21, eight. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be in a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I was listening to Nick Hall share the gospel last night and he gave examples, you know, hey, has this ever been your reality? Hey, has this been your reality? And then at the end he said, hey, has anyone ever told a lie? And he said, show your light from your camera. And at the end of it he said, is there somebody next to you who's not showing their light? That's what a liar looks like. All of us are condemned by our sin before a holy God and God has interrupted time and space and given you every opportunity to trust Jesus and to follow him. There's an assurance here and a warning. And for those who follow Jesus, there is a crown of life, a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth. Brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ has suffered since the beginning. It should not surprise us, we serve a suffering Savior who invited us to come and die to ourselves that we might live in Him. And as we suffer, remember that your reward and your future are secure in Christ. Whatever suffering is brought into your life, it will come to an end. I was with a dear friend, and, and, and she's a little bit older, and her husband passed away. And I remember the pastor who was with him of similar age, and, and he looked at her and he said, Sister, it won't be long till we're together again, will it? <laughs> For all of us. There's a time coming when we will be with Christ, so suffer well. Struggle as those who remember that your reward and your future are secure in Christ. I want to conclude with this story. In 2016, Child Evangelism Fellowship of North Dakota invited a missionary named Gracia Burnham to come and visit our state. She spoke at a number of events around the state, and I was fortunate enough to attend the event here in Fargo. For 17 years, Gracia and Martin served with New Tribes Mission in the Philippines where Martin was a jungle pilot, delivering mail, supplies, and encouragement to other missionaries. They transported the sick and injured patient to medical facilities. Gracia served in various roles, supporting the aviation program, and she homeschooled their children, all of which were born in the Philippines. So these were committed individuals to the cause of Christ there. On May 27th in 2001, while celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary, at a resort, the Burnhams were taken captive by a militant group of Muslims called Abu Sayef. In addition to the Burnhams, the group seized several more guests, and they took them to an island, a stronghold. More than a year later, on June 7, 2002, the Philippine military attempted another rescue. See, they had been tried to be rescued so many times, and it failed. Tragically, Martin was killed during the gunfight, along with another captive, Wounded but alive, Gracia was rescued and she was returned home to a national attention. M- many of you guys remember September 11th, so from the time when she was kidnapped to the time when she was rescued, it was in that time. When she was asked what kept you going in the jungle, she said, well, obviously Martin did. He always had something wise and or encouraging to say to motivate me to hang in there. And God gave me the strength to go on like he promised. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty arm, quoting the Lord. I found those words from the scripture to be true for sure, and some stubbornness on my part kept me going. I didn't want the bad guys to win. Well, friends, in 2016, I'll never forget the time that I was invited to go to dinner with Gracia. The event was over, it was late. Three or four of us families gathered at the Mexican village on 32nd Avenue and 45th Street. I can tell you about where we sat, there in the middle with the big table. Gracia ended up sitting by my children. And I remember her tender, grandmotherly heart towards my kids. At one point, one of my kids was sharing a story about how someone at school was being very unkind to them. And Gracia, as only she could, leaned over And she said, do you wanna know what I think? Or maybe my kid asked, Rachel, what do you think? And she said, what I've learned is that the best thing for me to do is to pray for that person. To ask God to give me a heart to love that person and to respond to them like Christ would. She said that when she was held captive, God changed her heart for the captors. It wasn't just I don't want the bad guys to win, it was I want the bad guys to know Jesus. And she shared how the Lord had been changing her heart towards them. And how in the last several years, she had been traveling back to the Philippines, yes, to participate participate in the legal proceedings. Many of those men were arrested and held accountable, but she also went back in the jail. And she shared the love of Jesus with everyone that she had the chance to of her former captives. And today, more than four of them are trusting Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't always look for suffering, but sometimes suffering comes. And when it does, I want to invite you to lean in to these truths. Allow the fruit of prayer to help you to fight off fear and that you might stay faithful. Entrust yourself to Jesus' care, knowing that your reward and your future are secure in Christ, and remain faithful. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the church in Smyrna. God, it's so easy for me to read three or four verses and and just blink and almost forget about it. Thank you for the opportunity this week to look a little deeper and to see that there are people who've gone before us who suffered tremendously because of their willingness to follow Jesus. God, would you stir up in our hearts a desire to love people from places that for many years have not been kind to Christians? Lord, would you desire, build up within us the desire to pray for our brothers and sisters as they suffer. I remember the missionary in China who prayed, please don't pray that my suffering would end. Pray that my back would be stronger, that more might know Jesus. God, give us faith like that. In Jesus' name, amen.